0: Songs,
2: songs.
1: <laughs> you are listening to the Burrows of Berea.
0: Welcome back to the Burrows of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and behind the glass is Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. And it's just you and me, pal. Hey, y'all. Just doing our little thing here. Yeah, so, um, guys, we went to the Berean Bible Church in Virginia Beach. Uh, by now, you've already heard three of those episodes and this is another one. Whenever I was there, uh, it was just Ralph and I, uh, things that uh, Andy had already headed back to Draft Studio, and so Ralph and I just had casual conversations. But this particular episode is uh, Bob Cruikshank or Robert Cruikshank, Great guy. Uh, I met him at the spring conference for the first time. I'd seen a lot of his talks. If you ever want to see him, go to bereanbiblechurch.org, or you can go to the Bream Bible Church uh, of Virginia Beach on uh, YouTube, and you can see some of his talks. Yeah, so guys, hope you enjoy it. So this is just going to be a direct discussion, and then we'll make fun of you on the podcast when you're not here. Nice. Yeah. You know That's the way we like to roll. That's how we roll. (laughs) I kind of
1: like the way you did with Andy while he was gone.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's busting your chops. (laughs) No, but um, yeah, Bob. (laughs) So... Bob Cruikshank, uh, thank you so much for being here and for being willing to share your testimony. Oh, thanks, it. And uh, I'm a big, honestly, I'm a big fan. I love uh, to listen to the, everybody thinks I'm fangirling. I am. <clears throat> I am. Honestly, I, I really do. I enjoy the studies that you share. And um, it, it's made me rethink a lot of the things that I've learned over you know the course of my life. and. And so it's great to be actually to be around, you know, around all of you guys that are here uh, at Berean Bible Church on this little event that we're doing. And so I just appreciate that you're willing to sit down with us, you know, um, because we're, <laughs> we're, we're a little odd show, but, you know, it's, uh, I think it's important. I think that the Preterist Movement, I think, I can't wait to hear what you have to say, because we've talked a little bit, so I can't wait for everybody else to hear. But I want everyone to hear um, this I want people to study the scriptures and to get as deep as some of you guys go and to really see, you know, where this is heading. Mm-hmm. But before we do, I've, I've got to tell you a joke Uh oh. and you'll like this, Ralph. Oh, I got the rib shot ready. <laughs> oh, good. Nobody else can hear it, but Ralph can hear it in his yeah, headphones. I got the rib shot ready. So, uh, a Catholic language arts teacher goes to confession. She sits down in the confession box, says, Forgive me, Father, Vicar, Padre, Priest, for I have synonymed. (laughs) Nobody got it, huh? (laughs) (laughs) For I synonymed. Instead of forgive me, Father, for I sinned. If I have to explain it, it's a a terrible joke. It's a standard joke. Andy, you know how it works. Andy's not here. But you don't get it, huh? Well, actually, that's a word
2: that I have trouble saying, so I'm glad I didn't have to say that joke. Yeah, you uh, haven't synonymed yeah, lately? Yeah, s- syn- synonym and cinnamon. Those are, yeah, nor- <laughs> normally I say cinnamon. Yeah. So, uh, and if I have to say a synonym for cinnamon, it's really bad. Yeah, so, it's one of yeah, my favorite
0: cereals, yeah. is synonym Toast Crunch. Yeah, oh. it's good stuff. It's good stuff. How's, how's your Massachusetts? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I ain't, ain't going to attempt it. Yeah, <laughs> Back at you, Rick, for everything you just said. Um, uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show, and thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I ask every guest that comes on, the first question is, can you tell me your earliest memory of when you've heard the name Jesus Christ?
2: Oh, it would have been right from the start, because uh, up until I was, I want to say nine years old, maybe 10, but I'm pretty sure it's nine Not sure of the exact dates, but, but, you know, we were, we were Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. And uh, so obviously, you know, um, from the time I started hearing words, I would have heard about, you know, Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, Roman Catholicism has doctrinal issues, but, you know, they teach about Christ. They, I mean, they teach a lot of good things, the Trinity, the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, Mm -hmm. and of course, who purgatory. Jesus Christ is well, yeah. There's that, that too, yeah.
0: But, <laughs> well, you were labeling good things, and so. I, <laughs> but no, honestly, just <laughs> I,
2: I mean, I, I believe. Um, I believe you can be a true believer, and still be Roman Catholic. I don't know if it's a good idea, but I mean, there are, you know, I believe sincere people, and
0: I, I think that would Church. be true across any of these. Yeah, you? yeah. The I people mean, that are sincerely looking, and they're just yeah. they're in the world that they're in. I feel the it, same way. I yeah. think there's a lot of people that they are sincere. They're seeking after the Lord. They are reading the scriptures. Well, I, I
2: think we're all going to be surprised when we get to heaven to see who else is there. Yeah. <laughs> you know?
0: Absolutely. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So from that, so obviously you were born, you know, in the Roman Catholic and and I don't, you have to forgive me. I don't really know much about the Roman you know, Catholic church. I know a little bit from uh, Ralph who wanted to be a priest, I believe, right, Ralph. At one time, yes. Yeah, I still have the letter. Still has the letter, but wow. So, how about your salvation experience?
2: Uh basically, my mom uh, became a born again Christian when I was about nine, and she led me and my brother to Christ. Uh, then, so that was pretty much it. You know, nothing, nothing dramatic. Like uh, I was nine years old, so it's not one of those. You know. Like I wasn't worshiping the devil and sacrificing goats and you know, yeah. uh, doing heroin or anything. Yeah, you were um, missing
0: out, buddy. Just yeah, yeah. No.
2: Pretty pretty <clears throat> mundane, you know, experience as far as
0: that goes. So, um, so you yeah. but but you were raised in a Roman Catholic church. Yeah, we were. And then Roman you said that your mom became a born again Christian when you were nine.
2: Yeah, I want to say about nine, and then and you know, this when,
0: happened in the church. Well, no, 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 no.
2: She had. Some stuff going on in her life. And she met up, you know, with some people that, you know, good believers, they love the Lord. Okay. They're charismatic. So uh, we ended up, you know, joining a charismatic church after that. So Mm -hmm. went from Roman Catholicism to uh, the charismatic movement. But honestly, I feel like uh, there are probably things, I mean, obviously that I disagree with in hindsight, looking back at, any uh, tradition that I've been involved in. But I like to think that there's something positive that almost every tradition out there has to offer and, um, you know, has benefited me in my life. And that would be true of both probably the Roman Catholic Church and the charismatic movement. Mm -hmm. Have fond memories of of both, you know. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think that maybe that's why all these you know, people say, you know, why it's supposed to be one church. Why do all these denominations exist? Well, maybe in a way they exist is just everybody's different, you know, and everybody is comfortable in, in a different tradition. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, so that's kind of what happened from uh, Roman Catholicism to uh, the charismatic movement, you know, after after my mom got saved and she led my brother and I to the Lord. And, of course, my dad became a Christian
0: at that time, too. So at this point, I'm, I'm assuming that you guys left the Roman Catholic Church and went started going to a charismatic church. Yeah,
2: yeah, it was non denominational, but uh, pretty much, pretty much would probably line up with, I want to say like the Assemblies of God or a church like that, mm-hmm. even though it was non denominational.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, was that um, not not to get too intimate here, but w- were there uh, speaking in tongues going on inside this church? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And did, did anyone ever tell you that unless you spoke in tongues, then you were not a believer?
2: No, actually, no. There were, uh, many people who there, who, who didn't speak in tongues. So okay. it wasn't that one, it wasn't one of those kind of, uh, Pentecostal or charismatic churches. Like nobody felt pressure to, oh, you have to speak in tongues. Right. You know? Because but I, people I had, did, you know,
0: I had an experience like that. Cause I, I went, I didn't go to a, to a Holy Pentecostal or holiness church, but Um, I was just having a conversation with someone who was, and we were actually um, working on a project together. And he said, unless you speak in tongues, you don't, you know, you're not saved. And I was like, well, (laughs) I'm not really sure what Bible you're reading from. That's really odd, you know? And, but I remember just thinking, wow, I I would be very careful walking around telling people that, Yeah. you know? And I was just curious if you came from that background or not. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, not
2: the particular church that, uh, that I went to at that time. Now. Right. And I don't even think, I don't even think the assemblies would, the assemblies of God would say that. Yeah. They'd say you weren't, I don't want to go down a rabbit trail. They'd say you weren't baptized in the Holy spirit, mm. unless you have the evidence of speaking in tongues, but uh, an assemblies of God person would believe that you can be a true believer without being baptized in the Holy spirit because they see it as a second experience. Um, yeah. And I, I think most of us realize it's not, but, that that's how they would view
0: it. Sure. You know? Well, with with some of the levels that I've heard you go to in some of your teaching, it's obvious to me that you've been an avid studier of the scripture. How when did that start in your life? Like so you became a believer at nine? Did you immediately start reading your Bible or where take us oh, from there to here?
2: You know, I yeah, geez, I don't know really. Um let's see, I probably I want to say that the early nineties I was like I was like into it uh pretty deeply. And then let's see our first 93, 95, 96. Our first kid was born in ninety-three. Um so probably for all those years till about uh 2015, 2016-ish, somewhere around there. I, I really wasn't. I mean, I, I was still reading the Bible. I was still a Christian, but you know, you got, you got kids, you got responsibilities. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we homeschooled for a while, then we sent them to private school. Um, so that costs money. I was, I was basically just more focused on my careers as well, on, my, on my career while, uh, you know, my kids were young until sure, they graduated. So, so I'd, I'd say probably t- 2015, 2016 uh, I probably got, back into it, you know, studying more deeply. Mm-hmm. And that's when I met David around that time. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess early nineties to probably 2016 or so uh, big hiatus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <clears throat> well, yeah. one of the things I really want, I can't wait to hear this one <laughs> because you, you sort of alluded to this whenever we talked about it, but so for most of all of us that have done a testimony um, we've, uh, started in some church, like you did Roman Catholicism, yeah. and then you did, uh, you had, uh, the Pentecostal or the holiness, the charismatic church, whichever. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, I asked, you know, when, when did you become a preterist? Oh yeah. <laughs> Th- this is what I want to hear. So. Okay.
2: Well, when, when I became a preterist, I didn't know I was a preterist. I didn't know it had a name. I didn't even know what happened in AD 70, but, uh, long story short, Okay, I told you my mom was Roman Catholic, and then she gets saved when I'm about nine. And I don't know if any of you were Christians back around that time period, like late 70s, early 80s, but the big thing was, you know, secular music is evil. So, like, my parents went through that phase. So, like, we weren't allowed to listen to secular music. Although my dad did keep his Elvis records. I don't know what made.
0: Uh, He's saying gospel, man. Take yeah, it easy. Yeah, well, no, Take no. it easy on him, no, okay? No, no,
2: no, no. I mean, he kept them all. And I think there's some... <laughs> oh, I see. I think there's still some CCR albums and
1: vinyl. Even the Fat Elvis?
0: At with our like house. Leather Even the Fat Elvis. Al- yeah. Man. Well, I, Why yeah. are you looking at
1: me when you say that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway... My buddy, Brian, he's a, now they've been saved. His mom was one of the people that led my mom to the Lord. So Brian and his family been saved for a while. You know, ironically enough, they're allowed to listen to secular music. So like I'm 12 years old and Brian calls me. and He was like, hey, have you heard Bruce's new song yet? And of course I didn't because we weren't allowed to listen to the radio. Like I had this like clock radio that I'd turn on like real, the volume real low and hold my ear up to it. Just so like I could hear something, you know, besides Jimmy Swagger. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: Lord.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> so that, he that's says, where I learned how to cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. I'm telling you. So anyway, I'm like, no, I haven't heard it. So he's like, oh, come on over. It's awesome. You know? So, you know, he, he had the 45 of Hungry Heart, and we argued. It was, it was a good tune, and we argued for a while. He thought it was better than Born to Run, but nothing's better than Born to Run. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we argued for a while about that. And then, like, Brian saved, you know, and he's been saved longer than me. And we, we used to do this Bible study at his house on Wednesdays or whatever. So he starts talking about the last one, and he was like, well, I don't get how Jesus could have been wrong. And you know, I'm like, Jesus wasn't wrong. What are you talking about? He was like, he thought he was coming back back then. And I'm like, he never said that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh honestly, it, Brian was like any one of us. He just like bam, 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 starts hitting me with the time texts, and he he knew them all. I'm talking Matthew 16, 27, Matthew 24, 34, all of it. Yeah. And and he he was very distraught. And um, I don't know where he even is today or, you know, what he ended up believing or not believing. But I was just like, well, at that point, <clears> I was convinced Brian was right. And Jesus did really think he was coming back back then. But I was like, well, if he said it, then he did it. And he was like, well, how? When did that happen? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I just, if he said it, he said it, you know? Mm-hmm. So the whole time I'm... uh you know, going to this charismatic church, which I don't know if they would have defined themselves as dispensational. But for the most part, you know, that's what they were. You know, it's the end of the world, the rapture's coming and stuff. And I just remember my whole teenage years thinking in the back of my mind, I'm like, I don't know, something doesn't set right. I think this stuff already happened, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, I might have said something here and there, like a couple of my friends that I grew up with, like they they remember me saying that, you know, they remember thinking I was nuts, but they remember me saying, you know, I think it happened already. So anyway, fast forward to, let's see, I'm at Valley Forge Christian Bible College in uh, 1988. And um, I don't know if you guys remember, but Dave Hunt had a book called the Seduction of Christianity, a, basi- a basically stupid book that told Christians to just withdraw culturally. And, uh, you know, back then I was always like, I thought we should be involved in the culture and the world around us. Um, I listened to a lot of Steve Taylor back then. This is after I was allowed to listen to rock music again. Um, mm. And Steve Taylor's Christian rock, but, you know, that was his thing. So anyway, Dave Hunt, like I wasn't into. So I'm at this Christian bookstore and there's this book on the shelf and it's by, by a guy named Gary DeMar. And it was a blue book. And I remember seeing it. And I still have the book to this day. And it's called The Reduction of Christianity, An Answer to Dave Hunt's Theology of Cultural Surrender. And I'm like, oh, this looks pretty cool. And that, that's my first exposure to Gary DeMar, you know? So, like, I start reading the book. And it was really good. And he touches on Bible prophecy, and he's kind of touching on preterism, even though that wasn't the main thrust of the book. And I'm like, well, this is making sense. Mm-hmm. And in the back, he has a list, like a, like a glossary or like an appendix or something, sources for further reading or books for further reading, you know. And one of them is this book called The Days of Vengeance. And it's by a guy named David Chilton. Oh, yes. And the description is a commentary showing that the book of revelation is a prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And I was just like, that's it. You know, this, now I know how it happened. So I I hightail it down to the library at Valley Forge Christian college. And I look, and if you can believe it on the shelf, they had the days of vengeance by David Chilton. They actually had it. And uh, I think, I mean, it's it's a commentary on the whole book of Revelation. I think I devoured it in less than a week. Do you was, still have that book? Oh, yeah. yeah you do? Not, well, I didn't steal it from the library. Well, no, no. I don't have oh, that physical oh, book yet. the yeah, library had saying.
0: it. Is this, you set me up. Com- I, was just, <laughs> I was just curious how much the late fees were at this point. Yeah. Because I would have held on to that book. That would have been really hard not to steal. Right? Because I tried to buy one the other day. It's like 540 bucks online. David Chilton's book? If you want to get an actual copy of his book, oh. you can buy it on eBay for $546. Oh, I can get, I got it for free wow. as a PDF. I was going to say it's it's for PDF they have it on PDF we have it three. on PDF I, I just heard David Curtis behind me say that he he would give me one for five <laughs> yeah. what a nice deal! Right, I sell, want the hard copy guys that's what I'm looking for I'll sell
2: you mine for $499.99 <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: wow we got if you guys can't hear it we've got a little uh, like an Abraham <laughs> trying to uh, you know ask God to lower how many people yeah. are going to be destroyed you know in, if I can find Comor- just one <laughs> yeah yeah 50, 40, 30, how about
2: 10? Yeah, so basically I'd say I was a preterist when I was 12. And then I found out what I was in 1988 when I read Demar and Chilton. And I actually found out that there were others
0: like me. So you found that out in 1988?
2: Yeah, that was 88 and I was a Bible Did you read
0: the 88 Reasons Why the Lord Was Coming Back in
2: 1988? You know what? I never read those. Wow, those
0: are coming out at the same time. Yeah, I know. That's interesting.
2: (laughs) But anyway, it was funny because I was like... I wonder how long ago that was, you know, that, that that I had that conversation with Brian when I first became a preterist. And then I thought, well, it's easy. He had me come over his house to listen to the 45. And most of us in this room are old enough to remember what a 45 is. You know, it's a small version of vinyl, which sounds better than listening to something on a computer, by the way. But anyway, mm-hmm. it was a 45 of Hungry Hearts. So I just Googled it and that was... Uh, Bruce released that in October of 1980, so like I can date it, you know. Wow. And I know I was in, you know, my freshman year of college was '88, so you know that's pretty easy to date. And wow. Chilton wrote the book in '87, but yeah, yeah. So that's kind of, uh, that's
0: kind of it. Yeah. So with those time, yeah. So the Times text, you you immediately saw them whenever your friend Brian brings oh, it yeah, up, and he you're did like, too. wow. Brian yeah. did too,
2: and that that just shows like what indoctrination does. And it also, to me, shows, you know, having the faith of a child might mean a few different things. Like, I've heard that that doesn't really mean that the way we look at it. But in a sense, let me, uh,
0: you know what? There's, there's, a, there's yeah, a train there, coming. Yeah, yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's a train coming. Yeah.
2: Um, in a sense, I just look at it like, here we are, you know, we're two 12-year-old kids. I was recently saved. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know how long Brian was saved, but he's only 12. So how long did he really have to be indoctrinated? So that's just the difference of just taking God's word as it is and having a childlike faith as opposed to 20 years of indoctrination. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think. and, And the problem is that people start hearing what they're supposed to believe about Bible prophecy before they even start reading Bible prophecy itself. Sure. And once that happens, that's like an interpretive grid that you read, they're they're lenses that you read everything through. Mm -hmm. But without the indoctrination, nobody's going to look at a statement like this this generation won't pass away until all these things take place. No one's going to look at a statement like there are some standing here who will not taste death. Until, you know, they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, just nobody's going to look at statements like that and think they mean anything other than exactly what they're saying. Right. Um, and, and the dispensationalists in my opinion, <clears throat> deep down in his or her heart of hearts, they know. <laughs> they know. They have to know. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think uh, one of our cast members, Cherry, uh, she's mentioned a couple of times that like she she agrees with the time statements. Like she sees that. And although she doesn't understand everything, she's, she's beginning to say like, okay, um, and Ralph is too, actually, like they're seeing these time statements and like, okay, this does matter. This does matter. But whenever they open up to someone else, let's say within their, their group of friends, or perhaps the church that they go to, the two words that really come up are heresy and tradition. Those two things are the biggest obstacles to anyone. Heresy. So if someone says to you, "Be careful, that's heretical." People go to hell on that. That shuts them down because we're not we feel like we're not smart enough to understand like these people have understood. That's number 1, heresy. And then second yeah. is the tradition is, "My grandfather's been preaching this for 50 years. Do you <sighs> think God would let my grandfather, who I love very much and who has helped so many people get saved, preach the wrong doctrine? And it's kind of like, if you want to say the answer is yes, you don't want to be a jerk, but you're like, of course, it's absolutely possible because he was doing what he was taught. Yeah,
2: right? Well, the thing of it is, like, as as far as the heresy thing goes, okay, I mean, every, me and everybody that's a member of the Brian family sitting in this room, if you if you want to judge us by the standards of the creeds You know, guilty as charged. Which is what it is, right? It's based on the creeds. The point of it is, though, most of the time, when you're talking to somebody about the time texts, okay, and you're talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, you're not getting into the resurrection and all this stuff yet. Right. So when they're saying heresy, they're just referring to that, just flat-out preterism, a preterism no different than... Ken Gentry or Gary DeMar or Hank Hanegraaff or the late R.C. Sproul. Mm-hmm. And in that case, they're completely 100% wrong. When it comes to partial preterism, that is not heresy. But they have they have such a knee-jerk reaction to this that they consider just anything happening in AD 70 is heresy. Right. Um, you know, interpreting it that way. And it, when it comes to tr- tradition, I will talk about this in the message tomorrow, prior to the rise of dispensationalism, the tradition was to go to Matthew 24 and use it as an apologetic to defend the word of God as true. And there's a book I'm going to talk about. It was by a guy named George Peter Holford. And he wrote the book in 1805. And it's called something like The Destruction of Jerusalem, An Absolute an irresistible proof of the divine origin of Christianity. Mm. Now that book's written in 1805. Wow. John Nelson Darby introduces the world to dispensationalism around 1830, 1830. or maybe that's yeah, maybe 18- that's when that chick had the trance or whatever. I can't remember. I think
0: 1830 is when he yeah. actually got to America.
2: Okay. It, yeah. Who knows? 1830 might've been when, when the girl had, yeah, she like had a vision or something. I don't
0: know. Yeah. But, um, which so is a great by, way to by, start a religion, by the way. Yeah, I it's know. It's a great way, just visions but of children. By about
2: eighteen, the middle 1800s, it started uh, catching on. And I'm sure. also going to include an absolutely hilarious quote from Spurgeon, yeah. who was alive when it happened and how ridiculous he thought it was. Mm. But so when they want to talk about tradition, okay, since the rise of dispensationalism, okay, maybe the preterist approach isn't the traditional approach. But prior to that, when you have guys like George Peter Holford in 1805 and further on back, we hold the traditional view when it comes to a passage like Matthew 24, Mm -hmm. because that used to be used as an apologetic to defend Christianity. Mm -hmm. The point being that Jesus Christ predicted the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 and the events leading up to it with such accuracy that it's proof of his of his divinity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and ironically, it is these same texts, the time texts, that are used as a weapon against Christianity to argue that Jesus was a failed and false prophet. Mm-hmm. But that's what these dispensationalists need to see when they have this knee-jerk reaction against something as simple as us introducing them to what is arguably the equivalent of partial preterism, okay? It's not even that radical. Right. But they have this heresy, knee-jerk reaction. What they need to understand, and I'll I'll pull some quotes up tomorrow, the atheists can see it. It doesn't even take, you know, you don't need to be born of the Spirit to grasp what this generation means. Yes. And they use that as a weapon against the Bible. Mm -hmm. So my question to them would be, we are all called to defend the faith each and every one of us. We're supposed to be ready in season and out of season to give an account of the hope that is within us. So we're all called to defend God's word. All right, dispensationalist, when these liberal scholars and atheists attack the Bible and say that Jesus is a failed and false prophet, you don't think this generation means this generation. How do you answer them? Yeah. They got nothing.
0: Yeah. I mean, they got Preterism something. Preterism
2: is the absolute best way but it's, to defend yeah, it, it,
0: It's confounding yeah. how much... The majority eat it up. They eat up this, you know, this idea. Oh yeah. You know, by what does this general, Well, oh, let's break it down for you. You know, oh. and but it's okay, and it's because Papa taught that. Yeah. And you know, like of course the rapture is real. My grandpa believed in it. You know, and <laughs> and I get it. Well, like, I you're, get
2: that. You're. Let's see. I'm not good at doing math real fast, but I bet your great great grandpa or maybe your great 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 grandpa didn't believe it because right. It's a fairly new doctrine and. I think we're seeing signs that it's starting to fade.
0: There's and, also uh, yeah. a whole, I, I yeah. heard that there are missionaries from Australia that obviously don't believe in the dispensationalist, you know, teaching yeah. that are sending missionaries to America. Wow. <laughs> trying to reach out to us because we're so crazy and in this. Oh know, yeah. And it's a very um, negative, very dark future for us if we're constantly waiting, you know, on the destruction of millions of Jews, millions of oh, yeah. Jews, you know, and it's, Oh yeah. yeah, it's harsh. I,
2: It's, um, yeah, it's, um, it's like, uh, I think, you know, you you were talking about Mike's book, his uh, excellent, excellent book, Armageddon Deception. And I wrote a little thing up on Amazon. But if you remember that uh, Edwin Starr song, re- really good tune, but war, what is it good for? And of course, the tune says nothing, absolutely nothing. I could sing it for you if you haven't heard that. No, yeah, you let's hear I'm it.
1: <laughs> anyway. <yeah>. Oh, huh. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> what is it good That's for? Absolutely <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> yeah.
0: That was awful, but thanks. (laughs) 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 Uh,
1: No, but like, that's
2: what I was saying with Mike's book, you know, war. What is it good for? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I think, you know, most people believe that. I mean, obviously for winning freedom and stuff, but not these wars that are fought today. But for the dispensationalist... They couldn't sing that song. Mm-hmm. War is good. We want it. We want people to kill it. We want war. This is Armageddon. This is what we're looking for. You know, the total collapse of civilization. That's the goal. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, which is why Mike's book's so timely. And um, and it just it's it's a warped way to look at the world, and it, it makes Christians culturally irrelevant. And because as a matter of fact, I was talking to Mike about this. I have a friend, I mean, good guy, good guy. And he's, he's sold out for Christ. He's a true Christian. He votes for Biden. And I'm not telling anybody who to vote for, or who to not to vote for. But his reason for voting for Biden was Biden will make things get worse. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. And he was like, well, that's what's supposed to happen. And he was like, if we try to stop it, and he, he was totally serious. He's like, dude, do you realize we're hindering the rapture? So, and I know that's an extreme example, but after I had had that conversation with him, Gary DeMar actually posted an article interacting with people with people who have written opinions expressing that. So it was out there. And, you know, that's the mentality that dispensationalism breeds. Yeah. Uh, instead of, instead of, working to change things and make the world a better place and affect our culture. You don't want to do that because that's not what's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't know if you guys, if you ever listen to William Bell, but he has a quote that I just, that I love and let's see if I can remember. It's, it's, um, improving the world in which we live is the mandate of fulfilled eschatology. Mm. And that's one of my favorite quotes ever, and I absolutely love it. But that therein lies the difference. If you're a preterist, Jesus isn't coming to rescue us out of the world. We're here. Our children are going to be here, and our children's children are mm-hmm. going to be here. So this world matters. Yep. And uh, it motivates you to actually be the salt and light that we're called to be, and um, so that men see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven, and uh, it motivates you to actually do something about this world in which we live. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another reason dispensationalists are so resistant because uh, if preterism is true, you know, we got a lot of work to do.
0: <laughs> that's yep. you know, yeah, exactly. And I um, I know f- since the nineties. I won't name the church just because I don't want it to be ugly, but there is a church in Western North Carolina that was part of a group. And I think they're called the Temple Mount Foundation or something. And basically what they're doing, they're Make taking up money to put the cornerstone of the temple in Jerusalem. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's been going no. on since the late nineties. <laughs> it's the Temple Mount Foundation. It's, and they were literally taking up money. Um, there was a whole thing going on. We still pray. This happens in Asheville, in Nashville and in Fletcher and Hendersonville in the Western North Carolina area. And I literally remember people putting money into an offering plate to go towards the cornerstone. And I remember asking the question, like, well, I thought Jesus was the, the cornerstone that was rejected. Like, I don't yeah, get it. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, but there's going to be one that's going to go in Jerusalem. And it's the first stone for the new temple. And I was like, I don't understand why... I, I I I couldn't understand even then, like it, it didn't make any sense to me.
2: Like, even if you believe that, like, like, why do you want the world to end? Like, I just, I don't get it. Like, do, do these people have kids? Do these people, like, I mean, like, I just, I don't get it. Yeah. I don't know. It I, makes no
0: sense. I, I don't but. know. I, I guess the same reason people want to fly in the clouds, you know, I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. You know, I don't know <laughs> what they're. But it's because they're reading, I guess they're reading it literally. And so, and again, with tradition, it's huge. Maybe it's just me growing up in the mountains, but it's just, it's a huge thing because your family have, you know, and I've had a lot of preachers say, you know, God doesn't have any grandchildren. I thought that was interesting because if you think about it, all of us are sons. It never says we're grandsons. Yeah, that's true. So we all have our rebirth. Yeah. Yeah. So it's only sons. So God doesn't have any grandchildren. If that's the truth, then why are we holding on to tradition so hard? Yeah,
2: really, really. You know? And like getting rid of the tradition is really the key. And I, I was thinking about what, now I don't know if which episode will air first, the group discussion or mine, but it, when the, whenever the group discussion airs, Jeff was talking about just, I thought it was really good. People are always asking us about the specifics of, uh, well, what about this verse? Well, what about this verse? And it does seem like it never ends because, okay, like someone will ask you about a verse. So you go home and like you do the work and you give them an answer and you can tell it really answers their question. So then they're like, well, what about this one? And they bring another one up and it seems like it never ends. And I think what Jeff was saying was really good and you were just talking about tradition, to get them to break the mindset of that dispensational, futuristic, literal tradition and get to a different tradition and what David was talking about, audience relevance. Mm -hmm. Like the tradition of audience relevance and understanding the text in the time period in which it was written and what it meant to that audience. And uh, it was just funny. The other day, somebody asked me about I don't know if anyone knows off the top of their head. I think it's revelation nine, the 200 million man army. Is that where it is? Or nine, nine sixteen maybe I,
0: I, well, yeah, that's, that was the person's point. And it was like, <laughs> you've nobody heard Mike Sullivan yeah, say my, talking about China. Yeah. yeah. That's what we've all heard. Right.
2: Um, that was the person's point that this couldn't have never happened in the, past because like Rome didn't have an army that big and only China has an army that big. And it's one of those, I don't know if you guys get this, but it's one of those, think all, all caps here, that didn't happen in AD 70, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. So it was one of those, that didn't happen in AD 70 things. And I, I was just, I just fired back. It's just hyperbole for, you know, A large number of soldiers, or whatever. And then, oh, of course, you know, you run to hyperbole and, uh, you know, preterists don't take anything literally. Well, truth be told, I was kind of setting the person up because it's a 200 million man army and they're all on horseback. Mm -hmm. There's 58 million horses in the world. So there's, like, not enough horses to go around. Not then, not now. Uh, they could There could be
0: three Chinese people on one horse.
2: Okay, I never thought about that angle. This is true. I mean, think about yeah. it. These guys
0: aren't really that tall. Yeah, this Except is Except for true. Yao Ming. He's kind of yeah. big. Yeah,
1: that
2: was revelation. Okay, so... Maybe a couple of horses quick.
0: would ride Yao Ming.
2: 200 million divided by three, does that come out to
0: 58 <laughs> no, million? No, it's still... Almost. Oh, really? Yeah. You did that in your maybe, head? Maybe That's there's impressive. four. Yeah, well, it's like 3.3. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay, well... So, so it'd be like three Chinese people and maybe their kid. But that begs the larger question:
2: If you're going to war in 2022, why are you riding horses? You know,
0: didn't you know that climate change took everything out?
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But anyway, so I said all that to say, you know, basically the person said, yeah, actually, that's a good answer." And then, well, what about this? And they jumped to somewhere else in Revelation nine. And my point was like, look, I I've never studied the chapter in depth. Okay, pieces of it, but not the whole thing. And I can't remember what it was if it was like the locust part or whatever. Uh,
0: but mean, I was just you're like, talking about the helicopters.
2: Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, means they don't interpret the Bible literally because right, locusts aren't <laughs> helicopters. You know, oh. Uh, But my only point was, and when Jeff was talking, I thought about that because that's basically what I told the person. I said, look, obviously I've made some impact here and that you agree that this is a good way to explain this verse. And you're starting to understand audience relevance. I can't go through every word of Revelation 9. Like I I have a life, you know, (laughs) like I can't just spend my day doing this, but I'm like, do it yourself. You know, yeah, focus from... On it from this mindset, from this framework, audience relevance, and what was going on at the time. And I was like, let me know
0: what you come up with. So, yeah. And yeah. it is our responsibility to work. Yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah. We have yeah. to work oh, yeah. at this. I mean, yeah. this is what Paul told Timothy, right? Yeah, A work exactly. Workman that needeth not be ashamed. Yeah. It's our work.
1: It's yeah. part of it. Yeah. Every single one of us. And the fact Indeed. of it is Revelation 9.16.
0: Revelation 916. Yeah, I, I just looked at that. Okay, that's what I thought it was. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. And Ralph, you're you've been you've been getting hit by these audience this audience relevance and time statements. It's starting to affect you you, are, you started talking to me about it. Like you are like, "Eh, I'm a predator's kinda." Right? That's where you're at right now. Well,
1: I think all of my life I believed a lot of these things. Like you were saying, all these things I I'm, I'm seeing like these like things, the but nobody will head. nobody will talk to me about it. Yeah. You have to yeah. have faith. And you can't have a conversation with anybody, and I didn't have anybody to back it up. I didn't have like Glenn was saying earlier; he didn't have books back then. Yeah, and there you're were, there wondering weren't that many books. I'm I'm an old guy, so <laughs> you know, at at sixty, you know, when I was a kid, there weren't books like this, and if there were, nobody was talking about them in my circle. And I don't know if you you were like me, but like you're wondering in the
2: back of your head, you're hearing like I'm hearing the preacher quote this generation or whatever, and you're just thinking in the back of your head, is there anybody else that has thought about this? Like, People, does yeah. anyone else? It's like when I'm any, watching a yeah. movie
1: and I see something happen, I'm like, that doesn't happen in reality. And then you're hearing a preacher say something like, I, <laughs> that's not how I read it. And yeah, I know that you yeah, exactly. a preacher and I'm supposed to be that way, but I'm, I'm, I'm with Glenn. I don't, I don't know <laughs> that I, that I believe it that way.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you, you know, think about it this way. If DL Moody hadn't have taken the message the way that he did in America when he did, um, and had the C.I. Schofield Bible with him as he was doing yeah. it. Yeah. Imagine if someone at D.L. Moody's level was carrying around James Stuart Russell's The Parisea. Oh, my word. And imagine somebody that was yeah. putting that much effort on the radios with the yeah. horns, like Billy Sunday and all these guys. Like, that's if you had the same level of person at that time carrying it out. I think that's why preterism. That's so what I love about Berean is that they're like an internet church. And so they they have a lot of stuff yeah. out there. I feel like it's our responsibility to continue to push much like they did and see all these resources and get people to read it for themselves. Because if they do, then it can unlock an amazing potential in our country. And I think oh, we yeah. need to. It's time and that we need to do this. Oh, yeah.
2: You know what? If, if Christians, you know, I was talking about dispensationalists and uh, their withdrawal from the culture, you know, if, if God's people don't wake up pretty soon, like we're, we're going to lose our country mm-hmm. and we're going to lose the freedom we have to even debate about this stuff. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, people think, oh, you know, we're not supposed to be involved in the culture. We're not supposed to be doing these things. Well, that's easy to say when you're living in a free country, but My friend that I talked about in the other episode in Cuba, trust me, you live in a communist country, you realize you can't separate the sacred and the secular because to stand up for Christ is to make a political statement. Mm -hmm. And uh, the dispensationalists will realize that if it ever comes to that, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we don't want it to come to that. But that's what's going to happen unless unless God's people wake up. And I really do think that the wake up will come through, you know... Ideas have consequences and um, it'll come through a preterist eschatology because it forces us to realize we're not getting raptured out of here. We're going to be here. Our kids are going to be here. Our grandkids are going to be here. We're here for a reason. That's right. And it's not just the new heavens. It's the new heavens and new earth. That's right. This world is Yahweh's world. His son has reclaimed it for him. Yes. And we're his image bearers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know... And that's
0: the importance of it all, really, for me, anyways. I can't think of a better way to uh, to end this episode, honestly, with what you just said. Oh, that, sounds yeah, sounds like that, a good ending,
1: then. You ever, yeah, that, you it, know, that image bearers is a scary thought because if you look at the way Americans bear the image of Christ, it's uh, well, it's, it's a no responsibility. The, we so
2: many we just like Adam. Us. Adam was made in God's image, and what that really means, he was made Adam and Eve actually, male and female. They were both his image bearers. And if you read like John Walton on it, it means that they were created as his image bearers. And we are now, you know, Christ is the second Adam and we're his image bearers and we bear his image and we have a responsibility to how do we bear his image? Are we doing it responsibly or are we tarnishing the name of Christ? I mean, it's a huge responsibility. Well, that's what yeah. I mean. That yeah. Look at it. the other yeah.
1: countries looking in at us saying that we're Christians and they're mm-hmm. like,
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love that part in the scriptures, and I can't remember exactly where and which, which gospel right now, but whenever they the Pharisees run up and ask Christ if he should pay his taxes, <laughs> and he asks them, he's like, bring me a coin. And they do, and he says, well, whose image and superscription is on this? And they're yeah. like, well, Caesar's. And I love his response. He's like, well, then give Caesar what's Caesar's, <laughs> but then render under God what is God's. Yeah. And then it just made me think, whose image is on you? yeah. You know, and I I saw it and I was like, man, every time... Jesus is awesome, man. (laughs) I love everything about him and everything that he did. It's just, it's incredible. But Bob, thanks for taking out the time. We thought it wasn't going to take long. I think we could have spent two hours talking about uh, this. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's a lot. lot. It's so nice to have you here. And guys, if I can convince him to do Crookshank Corner... I'm doing it, but we'll call it whatever you want, but
2: yeah, I, yeah. I, I got nothing right now. <laughs> <laughs> so it far it's that. in the
0: number one spot. Crookshank yeah. corner. It is no, but anyway, but thanks again for being here, Ralph. Thanks for covering for Andy today. And, uh, then I guess we'll, uh, we'll just move on to the next one here. righty. Thanks guys. That, that was Bob Crookshank. Very cool dude. Very cool guy. He's actually going to come down here, and He's going to come in November. Is he? He is. Oh, that's Um, cool. He and a couple of friends. He's actually going, in November, he's going back to Berean Bible Church. He's going to be giving a talk. And I think uh, Holly and I are going to go down just to hear that. But then he's going to come up here, and he's going to come to Giraffe Studio with us. Let us pick his brain. He That guy's deep, man. Cool. Yeah, all these guys are pretty- <laughs> Yeah, they're very are, deep. Are pretty deep into it. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, well, I hope you guys enjoyed that testimony. Andy, so great for you to be here because I pay you to be. Yay. <laughs> and I have to be here if we want to get this baby done. Anyway, we will talk to you guys again next time on the Burroughs of Berea. Peace. Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burroughs of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for The Burrows of Berea. You'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys.